has been a little bit over two years uh, since my wife and I felt that this was the place where the Lord would have us. And um, what a great place to be. God has really been doing a neat work here. And um, I was kind of kidding with Mark uh, yesterday about this name, Fairlawn, and how it's not even close to Akron. <laughs> but, you know, I got to thinking a little bit, uh, a lawn is a cultivated area of green grasses, uh, a special planting. And the word fair means enjoyable, equitable to all, generous, good, honest, honorable, proper, reasonable, sincere, straightforward, trustworthy. And as I started thinking about that, I started realizing that as a family, as a soil here, as a part of this fair lawn, that did come to resemble what our experience has been. It has been neat to see the care that has been taken to plant the seeds of God's word in our hearts here. It's been neat to see how that has grown and come to fruition. And just really encouraged by that. And in a sense, almost felt led this morning to partner that with the message that God's laid on my heart. Just realizing that he is our shepherd. Uh, He is caused us to realize we have no wants. He's made us to lie down in this fair lawn. He's led us by still waters. He's restored our souls. He's led us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Oh, Lord, you are our fair lawn. And even though it's true At some point, all of us either have or will walk through valleys that are like the shadow of death, a deep darkness that we know not of. We have learned to fear no evil because he's with us. His rod, his staff, they do comfort us. And there will come a day when he will prepare before us in the presence of our enemies a table that gathers people together that were once enemies and have fellowship and break bread and commune together because of Christ. And so we ask that you would anoint our heads with oil, Lord, that our cup would overflow. We know that in you, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. This morning, I wanted to share a little bit about this story that seems to be unfolding in the Christensen family and how Kyrgyzstan came to be, and what does that mean for us? And the word teote has become kind of the catchphrase in our home that describes 
this heart that's inside of us, this journey that we're taking to the ends of the earth, which is the letters T-E-O-T-E. And I want to share with us, because I feel like it fits so perfectly, if you've been here for any length of time, you know the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what happened when heaven came down. And there are still places on this earth where people are yet to experience that heaven coming. And that's what's so exciting for the church, is the fact that there is a mission of joy-filled obedience to the ends of the earth by the authority of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God the Father. And he calls upon us and he sends us out to be a part of this mission. And that's what I want to talk about today. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. This is the passage we have been in for a number of weeks. Starting in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He's bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's been over these weeks that we've been studying this passage, the Lord's just really been challenging my heart. And I'm sure as you've listened to Pastor Dwayne speak and Pastor Keith as they're dealing with what it looks like for heaven to come down. You're challenged because at the beginning of this passage, it says we're to have that same mind. Does that, what does that mean for me? And I, and I began asking myself some of these questions. Am, am, I, am I, like Paul, willing to empty myself? Do I understand that in my life, as I follow Christ, I will be poured out like a drink offering. That there will be times like that. It's going to happen. Can I, like Christ, having that same mind, being in agreement with him, can I accept, take on that humble position in the kingdom and instead choose to serve the needs of others because of the desires of thy father instead of my own. And then this reality that all authority has been given to Christ. Because he took on that posture, because he did that, the Father exalted him to the most highest place. So where does that bring us? What does that mean for us? If heaven comes down and we believe that it has, we know that it has, what does it look like as a follower of Christ 
to not only just acknowledge that it's true, but allow that to be a part of shaping and forming and transforming who we are. When those seeds are planted into fair lawn, what comes out of that? What grows out of this soil? And that's what we want to look at. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1, that's just one letter to the left. Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse 10, it says, There was a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, it's God's plan that at the right time, this fullness of time, he would bring everything together under the authority of Christ. It was things in heaven, things on the earth. And so we're left to ask ourselves, what is this part that we play in God's plan when we place ourselves under his authority? So as followers of Christ and wrestling with this concept of authority, um, it's not something as an American that you're very comfortable doing. It, it, for a minute, if you're married, I want you to just think for a second of you bowing your knee to your spouse. Does that seem a little awkward? Does it seem a little weird to maybe confess to them, I'm submitting myself to you? There's probably been very few times in our lives that that's, we've had an experience maybe like that. And yet, when we look at this passage and we understand God's authority over us and we wrestle with this question that Pastor Dwayne posed several times last week, have I bowed my knee to the Lord? And I had to struggle with that because I can't really point to any person I've bowed a knee to. I don't really have any experiences that help me to understand submission to an authority. I'm a lot more comfortable in my Americanism to not be under anybody's authority, to call my own shots, and to almost be kind of excited about that. And yet, as followers of Christ, this couldn't be farther from the relationship we have with him. And so it makes it hard for us to think about what does it look like to follow Christ? How does this authority in my life change who I am, what I do, how I live? And I want to go today and kind of look at what, what was it that marked those first disciples? And what should it mark on us today? What should be seen? What should be evident? So if you would turn to Mark chapter 1, we want to look at the very beginning of Christ's ministry. We want to look at how he began injecting this authority, this kingdom, into the world. And so it says in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And he was saying, the time is fulfilled. Now, if you stop there just for a second, 
Ephesians 1 talked about what? In the fullness of time, what was going to happen? God was going to bring all things together, right? He was going to unite all things in Christ. So here we get to see a snapshot of this entering into our world in a very real and practical way. And he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It had finally come near. It had finally been brought close, close enough that it could be entered into, close enough that it could be experienced because the time had been fulfilled. And so he gives two things that must happen. We must repent and believe in the gospel. Christ's call to repent, repent's a word that uh, I'm sure for all of us maybe carries some baggage. Seems like a heavy word. Seems like some, a, a thing that we're glad is done. And it was a, a heavy time in our lives and we're glad that's over and now we've moved into faith in Christ and done repenting. Maybe for others, this thing of repentance hasn't happened yet and it hangs heavy on your heart. It seems to be this, this wall between you and the Lord, something that you're just choosing not to repent of. Repentance in its essence is simply changing our minds and redirecting our lives. It's a turning from our idols and sin. And we see that as a disciple, they were marked by repentance. This next thing is, is a call to believe. Our trust in God is in God alone. When we turn to God Returning from sin. And so the disciples were marked by faith. It's interesting, in my growing up, um, I think I tried to come at my relationship with God backwards. I started with the faith and then struggled with ever actually wanting to repent. And it never seemed to work out in my relationship with the Lord. It just never seemed to click until I realized repentance comes before faith. And I was shockingly made aware of that this past year. As many of you know, I've lost about half of me um, from a year ago. I always believed I was overweight. I had great faith in the fact that every time I stepped on the scales, I would be 300. And my faith proved true. It wasn't until I repented of the way that I ate, repented of not gorging myself for a couple of months, but for a couple of years, realized that I needed to turn from that. I needed to actually start walking in a different direction. I need to start eating differently. And all of a sudden, I began to realize something. I liked following him a lot better than I liked following that. I had a whole new set of clothes that now fit. I didn't have to do <gasps> snap, button, quick, zip, boo. 
or, you know, let it hang out over the belt, and then I could. There were all kinds of tricks I had come up with to make sure I still fit in 38s, and then that day came and went, and then I had to buy 40s. And then that day came and went, and it was at that point that I started thinking, you know what? That's not who I am. It's not who I'm supposed to be. Maybe I need to be somebody different. And there came a change in my mind. There came a repentance. And I kind of started thinking about that in terms of my relationship with the Lord. This whole idea that I need to repent before I try to convince myself or believe something. That I just need to walk. I need to follow Christ. If we go on in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16, it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. We see that they changed their mind. Did they believe that this was the Messiah? Or do we find through all the rest of the Gospels, as we read these stories, they still had what? Little faith. But one thing was true. Immediately, they left. Now in Luke 5, we find them back fishing again. At the end of John, we find them back fishing again. It's kind of our story. Repentance doesn't happen once, it happens often. And if we're wise, it happens daily, maybe even by hour. So, Disciples, we find, are marked by this allegiance. I, I find it very difficult to understand that a son is working with his father in their business as a family, and he decides that he's going to leave those nets and follow Jesus. That is, a, that is a pretty bold move on anybody's part. And he had an allegiance in his heart as a disciple. He knew, I'm going to start following that person. The disciple was also marked not by their qualifications. These people were fishermen. We didn't see Jesus marking around, walking, and trying to find who were all the people who had the Torah best memorized. Who had succeeded the most in the synagogue? He came and found common Ordinary people. I find that very comforting. And then we find that disciples were marked by urgency. Jesus, it's said that he immediately calls them. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't say, you know, well, after I build a relationship with you for a couple of weeks. He says, if you understand what needs to happen, what the real story is, I got to cut to the chase. Come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. There's something that much more important. 
that has to happen. If we go to the end of Matthew and we look at the end of Christ's ministry and we look at this concept of authority, we find that the disciples are marked by worship. So if you'll turn just one page over into Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm pretty sure I would be in that camp. I, I've always thought, man, I'd love to walk with Jesus. I would love to spend just three days with him, let alone three years. And here they are, the events that have happened over the last three years, over the last just couple of weeks, and then more importantly, just within the last couple of days, there's reason for doubt. They still worship, but there's reason for doubt. I don't know about you, but this morning I find a lot of comfort in that. I will choose to worship. It'll be a choice. I will sing praises. But I still have doubts. My trust in God alone is going to overcome that. But I still have my doubts. We also see that the disciples are marked by a mission. If we read a little further, it says, And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. By just the nature of the book of Matthew itself, we know that this was part of that mission was local. They had spent three years all around Galilee. Samaria, some of these areas in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, at the fringes of society, in the middle of culture. But now that was going to change. It wasn't just going to be local. There wasn't a choice for these men if they wanted to stay local or if they wanted to go global. The reality was they were going to go they were going to make disciples of all nations. So these disciples are marked by mission. When they placed themselves under the authority of Christ, that was no longer an option at that point. If I'm going to place myself under his authority, I am going to be on mission with him. It's not a choice. We're all called to that. We also see that disciples are marked by training others. I love the idea of a disciple because like we see in the disciples themselves, they still have doubts. Faith maybe hasn't completely come into the picture yet. But they are turning from the life that they know. And they're making this movement towards Christ. And that's the thing I love about this mission that God calls us into. I can't do anything to change a person's heart. Only God can do that. But I can come alongside somebody and I can say, I've 
walked away from that. Would you walk away from that with me? We're going to start walking this direction. We're in part of this movement towards Christ. And as you go along, as you change, like back in the example of a diet, as you start to change your diet, you're going to see certain things in your life become reality that you never believed could have existed. Jesus will become real to you in ways that you never imagined. And at some point, just like Jesus did with the disciples, day after day, he kept drawing this line and said, will you follow me? And at some point, as he got down the road, he turns around and he says, who do you say that I am? And he puts them in the middle of this crucial decision. What happens now? Do you believe? I want to jump to this concept of what marks us today. And if you can, if you flip to Jeremiah chapter 16, I want to read this passage in its entirety from 14 to 21. I want to point out a couple of things, and then for sake of time, wrap it up. Who would ever think that I'd be long-winded? So let's start Jeremiah 16, verse 14, therefore behold... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he has driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, And they will hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They're not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols. And they have filled my inheritance with their abominations." And then Jeremiah erupts in song, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know, this once I will make them know my power and my might And they shall know that my name is the Lord. There's a really neat thing that happens in the ministry of Jesus. Get all the way to the crux of this and they're at the Last Supper, right? This pinnacle moment where he sits down with his disciples. And in the book of John, we have 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters, all from this little section of time. In an evening, it was so important to John that you capture every bit of what was said in this upper room. And I think one of the reasons for that is because this was the beginning of that greater story that was bigger than Passover. Jesus, right in the context 
of the Passover starts inserting all of these new things into the story, things that, wait, that's not what we're supposed to remember. Wait, that's not what this is about. And he starts drilling into them that there's something new that's coming. And I wonder, did it cause them to think of this passage out of Jeremiah chapter 16? When he said, you're no longer even going to talk about when the Lord picked us up and brought us up out of Egypt. It's not a story that's important. There's a new story that all of God's people talk about. Do you remember when the Lord sent out all of these people across all of the globe, gathered everyone up from the north country, from all the places that he had driven him, and they brought him back to the land that he had promised? This is a story that for all eternity, God's people celebrate. Because his Passover was not just for Egypt. Yes, the blood was sprinkled on doors for a specific moment. But the cross has opened that up to the whole entire world. That all men might come and they might confess, like Jeremiah said, the things that we were following were worthless. How could they even be called a God? These aren't gods. So what does this mean for us today? We know that the Lord desires to make himself known. He desires to display his power and his might. He wants all the nations to know his name and that his name is the Lord. For us today, this means that we have been called to a great work, an exceedingly great work. The Holy Spirit desires to work among his church today to set apart for himself those of us who have answered the call. The call's gone to all of us. The call is written here from cover to cover for every single one of us. But his spirit is patiently waiting to send for his local body to gather together and say, I am going. We don't have time to look at them, but please make a note to turn to Isaiah 42, 1 to 4, and also Isaiah 49, 1 to 7. Because these speak about what that servant is that's sent out, what he looks like, what he does. And lastly, we need to repent. We need to believe and we need to live out the marks of a true disciple by Christ's authority. We need to be about his plan because the fullness of time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he has given us his spirit to equip us to do this work with great confidence. And we must be about this work. Thank you for your time. Well, J.C. well said. You know, there's a word that, uh, that J.C. spoke that really jumped out at me, and I hope it jumped out at you. It's this word urgency. You know, do I have an urgency to tell? Because, you know, we have all, 
had the opportunity to hear. You know, many of us have, have, have bended our knee. But now do I have an urgency to, to go and to tell? And, and that is my, my challenge that I received this morning is do I have an urgency to go and tell? JC, thank you for challenging us. Thanks for taking the time to prepare um, for us this morning. Stand with me and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, um, for the cross. And Father, I pray that this morning we would all be willing to follow. We've all been called, invited to follow. And Father, would we be willing um, to pick up and to follow you wherever uh, that may be? And Father, I pray that you would give us an urgency to go to our families, to go to our schools, to go to our community, to go to the ends of the earth and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And through that, you would be honored and glorified. Lord, as we leave here today, empower each person to go, to tell the good news, to live lives that reflect your goodness. Empower us, give us courage to tell. of the great things that you have done and continue to do and will continue to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.